This is the Blossom of Thought podcast, a podcast about the body, mind, and soul. And your host is Impilo Kambule. Africans who are ripped out of Africa to the United States of America, Central America, South America, the Caribbean, they've been given all kinds of names. And particularly, we want to pay attention to what they've been called over the centuries in North America. They have moved from being viewed as slave to be called the N-word all the way up to African-American, Black American, and stuff like that. Joining me today to talk about this subject is Salifu Mark, a pen African is an organizer with the All African People's Revolutionary Party. He's an African that was born in the United States. He likes to refer himself that way. But he's currently organizing in Burkina Faso for the All African People's Revolutionary Party. And obviously, I'm sure he works with other organizations in that space and also organizing. Today, we have got the internet. We have got uh, all kinds of uh, tools that we can organize far and wide. So, But he's on the ground in Burkina Faso. Salif, welcome to your brother. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate, I appreciate you responding to the call or request to come and talk about this subject that you have written about. The title of what you have written is Why I Reject Black Cotton and Cotton American. Why I Reject Black American. Let's talk about this subject. I've already given in the outline how African people who were taken and dropped in North America, they have, you know, gone over the centuries being referred to various names except just African. Talk to us about what inspired you to write this piece yeah um i guess when i when i wrote the piece i was thinking a lot about identity as uh politics i think a lot of times people especially when we talk about pan-africanism and pan-africanism and stuff like that people kind of get this sense that we are like strictly cultural people i've become a pan-africanist and like i changed my name to something that sounds quote you know more african i become a pan-africanist and i start wearing dashikis all the time and these kinds of things, but I'm always trying to get people, I guess, to think about identity as something that is political because that is the shift that happened for me when I started to understand myself as an African person. Okay, let's just backtrack a little bit. You you talked about you when you get politically conscious. What inspired you? Who were the people that were around you that inspired you to become conscious as an African? All right, so I have to credit first and foremost uh, Kwame Ture because Kwame Ture was my introduction to Pan-Africanism. I know a lot of people come to pan Africanism different ways, but it's it's listening to Kwame Ture break down what it means to be an African. And then Kwame Ture, of course, introduces me to Kwame Nkrumah. And you know, uh, Kwame Nkrumah has the quote, which is, I'm not African because I was born in Africa. I'm an African because Africa was born in me. Uh, these things kind of like help me make the connection. They also bring me to Pan-Africanist organizing. So through Kwame Ture, I find uh, people who are associated with the All African People's Revolutionary Party. Some of those first people were comrades of mine, like Onye Sonwu, um, who was an editor at the blog, a communist that I also co-edit. Um, at the time, I wasn't in the party, but by meeting her, she was like the first person I interacted with on a regular basis that was from the party. And when she would greet me, she would always say, hey, African, greetings, African. And I just thought that was so like, I don't know, I thought it was so cool because I wasn't used to being called like an African. It made me feel like I, I belong to an identity that was like material, like it was real. It was like this thing I could touch and feel. And it was like tied to this place. And I ain't never been there. 
but I still am so curious about like, why are you calling me an African? Oh, call me today. Oh, the APRP. Let me go to orientation. Let me learn more about this organization. So it was that kind of thing. Oh, that's awesome. It seems like you and I have, have got similar uh, people that have really sparked something within us. Kwame Ture, I first listened to him, connected to Ajam Umi and eventually Onyesau Chatora. I think these are all great people who have been doing great work for Africa. Well, in the piece, you say never been offered uh, talking about the Africans in North America. For people who may not understand, uh, the conscious uh, people who are referred to as African-American, the conscious ones view themselves as nothing else but African. And So in the piece, you talk about that Africans in North America, that is for people who may not understand African-American, quote-unquote, never have been offered the full rights of citizenship that the ruling class retained for itself. That is in North America. Can you unpack that for us? Sure. I think the uh, I think to 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 get into that, let me explain. There's two primary issues with the the name identity African American or Black American. I think if I had to rank them personally, I'm gonna go African at the top, then maybe African American, but then all the way at the bottom are just like Black and Black American, and I'm I may explain why. So the the primary reason that the primary contradiction with the name Black American is actually the American part. American, American, if we really understand geography, is not a valid identity because the continent is it's the Americas. There's a North America, there's a, a Central America, there's a South America. So how then do these people in North America, in one particular country in North America, get to be defined as the Americans? It, it doesn't make sense unless you understand the project of domination, which exists across the Americas, right? All North Central America, South America, these places are supposed to be subservient. They're supposed to be the, the backyards of the United States. So that is why then the people who live there get to be the Americans, and then everybody else just has to identify with their like country of nationality. So you be, you're Brazilian, you're Nicaraguan, you're uh, Venezuelan, but you're not American because I'm American. You see, that's 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 the sort of first problem. Either we're all Americans or, or nobody is, is an American. Um, and then the, the second contradiction is the one you bring up here, which is like, if we are going to accept that there are some people who just get to call themselves Americans and it's the people who live in the United States of the Americas, then we have to look now at the internal dynamics. There are people who live in that country who, when they call the police, they respond. Uh, when the economy is in a downturn, they're saved. Uh, socially, they are respected and protected. And then there are people who have historically had to shed blood to get access to those things. And then even after the shedding, shedding of the blood, that access can be revoked and given at any given point in time. Which kind of brings us to this point that uh, that uh, Imam Jamil Alamin has made quite frequently, Kwame Ture has made quite frequently, members of the Black Panther Party in the United States have made quite frequently. Either you're a citizen or you're not. There's no such thing as like second class citizenship. So there's this contradiction, there's this cognitive dissonance, I feel, for a lot of African people born in the U.S., Every year, every summer, we are in the streets protesting about police brutality, 
We're always talking about the abysmal maternal mortality rates that African women in the U.S. have. We're always talking about the uh, about mass incarceration, how more of us are in prison than are walking around outside. We're always talking about the poor literacy rates and poor access to to food and education that our children have. But then still, but but then and still, we're like, but I'm an American. I'm a citizen. No, you're not. You're not. If the U.S. is a house, you live in the basement. You're not a member of the home, right? You, you're somebody that exists underneath the social, the, the 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 social strata that exists within the country. So those are the two reasons why I say this title of Black American. It's really crazy contradiction. Right on. Well put, brother. Uh, you just made me think about how people are categorized in the United States of America, and the one that is uh, part of this subject, Black. American, and then you have got uh, Latino American, you have got Native American, you have got, um, uh, what do they call Chinese American. Everybody mm-hmm. has to have this first identifying name and then American. But yeah. I've hardly heard European American, meaning for the Caucasus uh, people. Talk to us about that. <laughs> it's, it's quite a, interesting. I mean, it's quite an yeah, interesting it's, dynamic. It's, it's, very, it's very interesting because even in the name American, there's something already implied there. When people say American, they're already thinking about white people, which is why people don't say white American, right? Or, or like you said, European American, because the the the, uh, the contradiction is already there. All right, so now we got hit. So I already unpacked for you what I feel is the primary contradictions in the identification. But now let's go back to this black point, okay? Black social construct. Most African people are not literally black. We're some shade of brown. Brown. All right. Black is a des- designation given to us as a, I guess, a title within racism. And racism is a justification for colonization. Okay. So now I have to accept that for the rest of my life. I, I, I have nothing. I have no choice in this matter. I am just a. I'm black. I'm a black person, right? So okay, we got black here, and then we got American here. But American means white. So black white person. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm a I'm a black white person. No, they cancel each other out. Black American is this really interesting identity because it's just an endless void of nothingness. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything to be black because black is a social construct and lots of people are going to want to argue or or like to argue with me about the use of the term social construct because they'll say, oh, it, you say it's a social construct, but it has material consequences. It, it is consequences for being black. Yes, of course there are because black is just a, it's just a, a, a misnomer. It's just a, it's just a title applied to African people. You can, you can understand the colonial situation just fine using African. So I don't need the costume black, right? But so you have this void, black, American, void. So void, void. It's just a tunnel of nothingness. And I, and I feel like for those of us who reject it, we reject it because we don't want to be identified as nothing when we actually come from a place that is everything. We want to identify with that place. Great. When World War II began, I think the president was Roosevelt. There was a speak out from the White House that, hey, American, let's unite. I mean, there was a development of industries that supported the war. So there was all this unification. As soon as the war was over, this whole cohesion thing did not exist. Those Africans who went to war, they came back and they were lynched in the very same place. To your point on, there is 
isn't just any citizenship rights for for the African. But on this point, I want to go to to your piece. The concept of one cohesive American cultural identity is not real. That 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 America is illegitimate, and we must reject it outrightly. Talk to yes. us about what you mean by that, and 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 unpack it for us. You know, it's really interesting because as much as the public education system in the United States lies and makes up history, it really does in a lot of ways lay a basic foundation for understanding the why the United States is an illegitimate nation. It's land that other people lived on. Europeans came and took it. It's stolen. I mean, it's like, it's very basic. The land is stolen. The United States is a European settler colonial project. It's no different than uh, occupied Palestine. It's no different than occupied what is called Australia. Um, It's no different than uh, uh, what was a apartheid South Africa and, and and me and you both also recognize that like a lot of people kind of pretend that that apartheid is over today as well um it's not different the, these things are the same I think a lot of people who are confused because we're years into this process of settler colonialism in the United States so they assume that the project is done this thing is fixed there's no point in thinking about this anymore but the issue with that is that there are still indigenous nations on this land that are fighting to get it back. And then we refer to them as Native Americans, which I find to be incredibly offensive as well because they were here before a project of America. You can't impose, you can't retroactively oppose identity on people in that way. And so, yeah, I think that's that's just like a fundamental basic thing I think people misunderstand. They think the United States is this naturally occurring thing. The piece of land that they're on was always the United States. No, that's not the case. It's like um, when you're a student and you're in school, I, at least when I was in school, the, 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 the teachers had these like projectors, these light projectors that would flash onto the wall. They had like the, the clear sheet of paper and then you put, the, put it on top of the projector and it would write on it and what they would write would show on the wall. The land that the United States is on is permanent and it's always existed. But what the United States itself is a projection onto that land is not naturally occurring. It was not always a thing and it doesn't always have to be a thing. As a matter of fact, it will not always be a thing. So then that begs the question, who will you become when the United States is no more? Even though America is not real, our reality as African people is real. And then you go on to speak about the violence as cultural production or expression of Africans in North America. Motown mm-hmm. is African culture, and then you go on to mention others. So why us there is hesitance in identifying as Africans, you think? I think that, one, there's ignorance. So we've been so disconnected from Africa um, in North America in terms of just formal recognition. The United States has gone a long way to separate African people from Africa, right? And it's been necessary. It's, this is like a huge part of that integration process. This is a huge part of Pro and like smashing the Black Power movement in the United States, the period of like the 80s and the 90s with like diversity and inclusion, integration into the corporate atmosphere, the military atmosphere. These things are necessary. It is necessary to get Black people, Africans in the U.S. to not identify with Africa, right? So that's the first thing is like, it's ignorance. People genuinely 
just can't, a lot of people just can't even fathom the idea that they are rooted, tied. You can like not escape it. It is a part of your DNA to Africa. That's the first thing. The second thing is shame. I feel a lot of people feel inadequate thinking of themselves as, Af- as Africans because they've never been. They don't understand the languages. They don't have direct family member they can call and so on and so forth. So they feel excluded from, you know, the existing reality of Africa today. But I think the other thing is pride and arrogance, okay? Pride and arrogance, both feed, both are, are a parts of the ignorance and the disconnection. But, you know, we've been, we relish in this narrative of we built this country. Well, right, we, it was our ancestors' blood that built the most powerful nation in the world. We should be fighting to get a piece of this. This belongs to us. And then we already think in our minds, Africa is this like poor shithole. I don't want anything to do with this. You know what I mean? Why Why would I even give a fuck about what's going on in this non-functioning continent when I can own, have part stakes in the most powerful country in the world? So <clears throat> we then take our cultural products. We say, we created all these inventions. We created all this music. We, 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 we have all these talented actresses and actors our impact on the world is global we make no account for imperialism right just our impact on the world is is global and so we say we don't need we don't i don't need africa we don't we are the and then also it doesn't help that a lot of people think the transatlantic slave trade only occurred in the united states so now we have this like self-constructed narrative one of my mentors he calls it the amputated narrative of the african experience we are the ones that nobody in Africa wanted. So they sold us off. They collaborated in the slave trade. And then we came to this country and they tried to oppress us, but we beat all the odds. And so that pride that people take in being, quote, African-American, it's like, it's pride on steroids. It's like, I'm one I'm one. we prove to the world, the whole world hates us. And we are the ones, we are the chosen ones who prove that we could make it in this country. And we made this country the most powerful country in the world. And it's a delusional narrative. It is so deluded and like just crazy as fuck, but it's what people invest in. You just make me think about one Donald Trump who says he's going to let's make America great again. Mm -hmm. Just out of, maybe I'll be digressing a little bit, but that's still part of the subject matter. Has America been great before Trump said that? said, let's make America great again. Has it ever been great? No, no. It's only ever been great for the capitalist class, the planter class that was able to come over here and establish their independence from Europe. But it's never been great. It's ne- it's ne- it's literally it's literally never been great. This is a basic fact of US history. If you are not a European living in this country, this country is not called a jailhouse of nations for no reason. You know what I mean? Everybody here is either a forced immigrant or an immigrant that has come to the country pursuing better opportunities from a country that, which has been destabilized by imperialists. You know what I mean? It's yeah, no, there's no way there's no way to look at this and call it great. Right on. Uh, others even say America was great before 1492. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, when it was before it was ever quote unquote America. <laughs> Yeah, well, you said the sad and pathetic truth that's speaking about the culture that Africans have produced in North America. The sad and pathetic truth is that we don't own anything. We don't own our music. We don't own our memes. We don't own our food traditions. And most importantly, we don't own our land. Yes. Talk to us about that. So this was a, this was in response to what is popularly understood uh, in like Global North media and internet 
as diaspora wars. So what happens is we get into these digital spaces with each other. You have the quote unquote African-Americans who are already on defense. They believe everybody else hates them. And they also believe that their influence on the world is greater than anybody else's. And then you have everybody else, you know, the Caribbean diaspora, and then you have Africans on the continent. We're all in the same room and we're all talking and we get into this competition where we need to prove to each other that the things we've done ha are better. So Jamaicans need Jamaicans need to prove that curry is the best food tradition. Uh, South Africans need to prove that I'm a piano is the best music tradition. Uh, Africans in the U.S. need to prove that we actually created all that shit and y'all just be stealing from us and our influence. You know, and we get into these back and forth where it's just a pile on pile on. We're fighting back and forth. It's it's the Jamaicans versus the Barbadians. It's, you know, the, the South Africans versus the West Africans. And it gets to be really interesting because what I realized very quickly is that none of us understand neocolonialism. None of us understand our colonial condition. So we actually believe that what we are describing are cultures that we own and control. And in the in the North American context, we have to be very, 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 very clear that in terms of culture, especially Black culture, Black culture is a thing that does not belong to us and it was not created by us. It's a thing that is imposed upon us. There's at, we And we must not be confused between what is African culture? What are the things that have always been a part of us and that we've retained and that we've built and we've set up in our communities, right? We use the word culture. We're talking about ways of life. We're talking about how do you bring life into this world? How do you bury your dead? You know, how do you greet people that you don't know? How do you revere elders? What is your what is your relationship to land and non-human life? These are things which develop a culture. But then we start saying culture and we mean like Hennessy. We say culture and we mean like hip hop, which is not a culture. It's a commodity. That's a conversation for another day. So we're talking about all these things which are imposed on us as methods of regulation, right? If we just take the generic term Black culture in the United States, it's a box. It's a box designed for us to function within very specific parameters. And we think we own the box. The box owns us, right? We have no, we have no control over safety in our communities. We have no control over economy. We have no control over politics. What then makes us think we have control of the cultural happenings in our life, that these things are not being designed for us? Then let's take it to the African context, neocolonialism, no control of the land. France, I'm in Burkina Faso right now. France controls the economy. Although the, although the current Burkina Bay uh, government has taken great strides to make this a liberated territory, France still controls our economy. You look in the South African context, we're still struggling for land in the Southern African context. I mean, you look in you look in the West African context from what we call Anglophone to Francophone, we are still being dominated by Europe. So these things that we take our time to argue over food, music, fashion, movies, they're meaningless. We don't control them and they can be taken away from us at any, at any given time. If the United States decides it is done with hip hop, Leo Cohen can shut this down. He can shut it all down, right? So that's the thing I'm trying to get us to think about constantly. Culture is not, is it's it's something we read Emilcar Cabral. Culture for Africans or for any colonized people is supposed to be a weapon and you can measure 
culture cabral teaches us by how different it is from your oppressors i fear that in a north american context right now we've gone a really long way to mirror and mimic and adapt and make safe and palatable and comfortable our quote-unquote culture for the colonizer we like we're riding <clears throat> we're riding shotgun with our kidnappers in, when it comes to culture in a lot of ways and i wish that we understood that our culture has to be a direct opposite a direct weapon against the kidnapper, against the colonizer. But until we understand that, it's not a thing that we own or control. I'm sorry, that was really wrong. Oh, no, that's cool. That's cool. I'm thinking to myself, uh, if you differentiate between rap music and hip hop, uh, or if you don't differentiate, one may argue that rap music, going back to people like Kerasi One, and uh, is it Ice Cube and many, not Ice Cube, is it Ice T and many Ice others? Ice we are told that it was used as a weapon uh, uh, to advance the message of our oppression. This was black music or African music expressing their ideal is revolutionary. So how would you clarify that the point when you were saying hip hop, it's not a culture because it's not owned by us? Right. When I say it's not a, when I say it's not a culture, I mean that it's not a thing that we are able to evolve in our own interest. Hip hop, since its, since its inception, we, I mean, this is something we have to be honest about. A lot of people don't, won't like it because I think we've, we've internalized this mythology that from the onset, hip hop was a counter revolution. It wasn't from its onset. Hip hop was party music. It was it was it was party music. Like, it wasn't necessarily about revolution. There are iterations. There are subcultures of hip hop which have expressed that thing over time. Like you like you point out people like KRS One, so on and so forth. But industry again, we have to understand how imperialism works, right? We in the U we want to skip steps in the U in the U.S. So that has kind of brought us to this place where we have to understand. Hip Hip hop is a is a commodity in the United States. It's been bought and it's sold to us, and it is also sold and forced upon Africans in other parts of the world. Which is why the argument that a lot of us get into, where we're like, "Well, our impact as Black Americans, you know, is more present. We've had more influence uh, on on y'all anywhere in the world." I ain't never heard music where you from. I ain't. There's a reason for that. The United States, I think I talk about this in the, in the piece a little bit. The United States does not have a direct culture of its own. It never has. It's a settler colony. They're tacky. They don't have cultures, which is why they have to create ministries and departments and all these things to develop culture. The most cultured product the United States ever had was the Africans that it stole. So any contribution, any, any way that the United States identifies culture for itself is stolen from us. And then what it does is as a project of cultural imperialism, it forces that culture on Africans and other people in other places, right? This is not a naturally occurring exchange, which has occurred between Africans in the U.S. and Africans in other places in the world. I wish it was. I want us to develop a world where it is, where we can, where we can start having natural and organic conversations between each other culturally. But in this current moment, what the U.S. is doing is it's selling its what a lot of academics and African uh, philosophers and ha have have culture have coined the term "black cool." It's selling what Africans in the U.S. have developed to and on people in other places. It's removed us from the bargaining process. It's removed us from being at the table to be able to describe and exchange. It says no. 
This is what black people in the U.S. do. Here, take it. These are our TV. These are the TV shows where we explain to you what Africans in the U.S. do. Here, take it. This is the music we have approved for you to understand Africans in the U.S. Here, take it and buy it and use it to develop yourselves. Right. And, in, and it doesn't work everywhere. For example, in Burkina Faso, there is very little U.S. influence, which is an incredible thing. And I mean, just simply incredible. I, I love to experience that being here. Now, I won't say I will say it has grown or it does have some some presence because of social media. But other places in the world, I mean, you look at a place like a like a like a like a U.S. vassal state like South Korea, for example, K-pop is not like. We get into this thing about appropriation and like K-pop. It's not a naturally occurring thing. It's a result of that cultural imperialism, right? Which is what kind of aids and feeds these diaspora wars because then we have Africans in other places who have these perceptions of what Africans in the U.S. are like, not based on any genuine exchange that they've had with the U.S.-born African, but based on media, based on things which have been imposed on them through the regulation of like, you know, this is what is allowed to stream in your country. This is what we sell to Netflix in your country. This is what YouTube is able to show you in your country. So, yeah, we just have to be very aware of this thing called cultural imperialism. It doesn't give any of us much say in the process. Well said, well said. Uh, you made me think of a discussion I had with other Africans here after reading Cabral, Unity and Struggle. And then there was a discussion about whether there is anything called African uh, culture. I do not know that the question when it was asked is based on the influence and uh, of colonialism, uh, imperialism, and all others of this thing, patriarchy, you name the things that uh, people who came from outside has imposed on Africans, and Africans have taken, you know, generations and generations after. We have picked up certain things in the impact of uh, superstructure such as religion and just the education that was brought to uh, Africans. I'm, I'm a product of that, where all everything that I knew is most European. The great thinkers are European. I was reading Plato. I was reading Aristotle. Man, I'm praising these guys. I'm trying to find a Bertram Russell, an English philosopher. I'm in England. I'm in America while growing up in Africa. So you see all these. So I'm asking this in that context. Is there something called African culture? We had some kind of a back and forth and me coming from the mother being born in the motherland and seeing differences between the motherland and here we had mm -hmm. some interesting discussion but i would like to hear your thoughts on that before i go on with the last few questions you know i think on this question kwame and kuma is probably my favorite contributor to this conversation because i think in his creation of the revolutionary African personality, um, which is a concept that he sort of coined, but I will say there are variations of it that exist among many other African figures. I think Emile Cabral has a version of this. I think Secretary Ray has a version of this. Yeah, Secretary Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Emile Cabral, they all have versions of, but I'll talk about Kwame Nkrumah's, which is the revolutionary African personality. And it's just like, it's this personality that must be developed among Africans who are serious about unifying and liberating Africa. It speaks to like the process of social character, which is built through socialism. Um, and I think when developing it, he basically says that while Africa is a huge and vast continent with many co countries, many ethnicities, many languages, there are f a few positive aspects which can be found in almost every society. Those things are things like humanitarianism, collectivism, uh, egalitarianism, uh, uh, you know, fraternity. Like these are all positive, you know, positive aspects 
of what could be considered a broad African culture, right? And so he said he like encourages us to like hold on to these things and 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 invest in the process of evaluating the other things which we associate with our many cultures, our many African cultures, and to be able to evaluate what is useful for us moving into the future uh, and what is not. And so when I think about that. I also go always go back to how Cabral defines culture because the Cabral's understanding of culture is way more material and scientific. It's something that I was trying to get at earlier because sometimes when we say culture, we are literally just thinking about fashion, music, food, these kinds of things. But culture is so it's so 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 much broader. And if for Africans in the U.S. specifically, I think if you have if you Africans born in the U.S. If you lose connection with the traditions of your ancestors who were born and lived or either brought and lived in the U.S. South, then you actually lose access to like the roots of culture for our people. So, for example, I grew up in South Carolina, which in the low country of South Carolina, which is a place which no matter what, it cannot erase its African heritage. It's just too, you know, the city of Charleston is a place where 40% of all Africans exported to the U.S. from Africa during the transatlantic slave trade made a stop in. Um, it has islands where groups of African people lived pretty much undisturbed for decades. So it developed a culture, a culture of my people, which is uh, which is understood today as Gullah Geechee people. It's a mix of Rice Coast to Rice Coast Africans, right? So when we talk about things like spirituality, when we talk about things like like the way we the way we address elders the way we bring life into the world the way we the way we bury our dead uh the way we think about animals insects uh the way <laughs> the the way we think about spirits ghosts all these things are a part of like these cultures which are direct direct contributions of africa we can't like it's it's just impossible this this um I'll stop there I'll stop there I see like you you got energized and moved by the african culture and and spirit and African soul. You know, as yeah. you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, because I've listened to people decide when they're speaking about the issue of culture. In my mind, I see all these things that are now referred in the Caribbean as voodoo, and mm -hmm. it seems to have a negative connotation. And I'm now I'm following, going back to the motherland. I'm seeing things that, you know, other people feel like, oh, there isn't any superpower or a god and stuff like that. And I'm seeing things that science is not able to explain that <laughs> Africans can do. Why African can tell you this is going to happen in two weeks and precisely that happens to you and stuff. And how does science get to explain such things? So maybe second last point here from your, your piece. This is quite interesting. What our ancestors that's based in this country fought and died for has never been about creating America. And then I think in that very same paragraph, you conclude the African revolution in the U.S. is incomplete. Wow. Yeah. Um, I said that because there's this really nasty phrase and ways of thinking about our ancestors that people engage in. It's this, like I mentioned it earlier, but it's this, uh, I, my, our ancestors built this country. Stop. Stop. Let's stop. Let's, let's stop and think about what we're saying and how we're framing these people. These people were not entrepreneurs on a mission to build something great. They, so they was just getting down and architect and, you know, constructing the uh, the belly of the beast of global imperialism. That's not at all what this was. They were made slaves. They were captives. They were kidnapped. They were people who were forced to labor. And they were not laboring with the belief that 
we're building something great. These people wanted to go home. I, I, I like there's this 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 disconnect. I think a lot of people have in their minds. These are people who were kidnapped from families, from from religious institutions, from communities, from villages, from tribes. They had lives. They were kidnapped and they were brought to a a whole new world and introduced to an incredibly brutal form of slavery. They were not thinking about building Wall Street. This was not a part of their imagination. They were not they were not thinking about you know building financial institutions and banks and and military barracks and drones and bombs like this is this was not a thought of the part of their their thought process these were innocent people they were human beings our ancestors were they were human beings who were put into a really, really, really fucked up situation, right? And what they did was they worked and they revolted. When we say that they built this country, we take away that and we take away this and we take away the agency that they have and we remove the context of the many, 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 many rebellions and revolts which took place over the course of chattel slavery in the United States. We erased the legacy of maroon communities in the U.S. People who straight up said, I'm not fucking with this. I'm not doing this, right? So people, I, I find that people do this thing interestingly where they pick a set of ancestors that they like, or they pick a vision of ancestors that they like. They have this vision of like ancestors who were like, oh yeah, getting to the grind today. I know that this too shall pass. I'm going to go to church and pray that this is over tomorrow. That That is a really fucked up and dehumanizing vision of your ancestors. They were people who were, would have done and did everything possible to end the nightmare that they were placed in. So that's the first point. If we understand that, they didn't build Harvard brick by brick or build any Ivy League, Ivy League institution brick by brick with the wildest dream that you would go there someday. I actually think we 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 do more homage to them. We think about how we get away from these institutions, how we destroy these institutions and actually build things which do honor them. It's the same thing with like the Harriet Tubman on the $20, $20 bill conversation. Everybody's like, oh, that's so exciting. Finally, recognition for Harriet Tubman. Meanwhile, she was one of the greatest saboteurs of the U.S. project to ever exist. And we're talking about putting her on its, its currency, that kind of thing. So we have the revolts, the maroon societies. We have the, the, the history of reconstruction, right, where Africans were working hard to build, a, Africans in the U.S. were working hard to build a world and a society on this land away from the dominant society, which is already being built, right? These were these were segregated towns, communities. This was these were it was an African world apart from the dominant world which was being built, and then that's all destroyed. So we have those attempts at building away from imperialism, which are completely erased and and overlooked. Then we hyperfixate on the integrationist history of the civil rights movement, where you know people are like, oh, well, your ancestors died for the right to vote. They always wanted to be Democrats, and you know you should vote for Joe Biden in their honor and these kind of things. And they completely erased the legacy of, for example, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which was an attempt at Africans challenging the dominant Democratic Party in Mississippi to say, if you will not, you know, if you will, if, if you will not allow us to be a part and do this thing, we will just form our own thing. And then that that attempt is swept into the larger Democratic Party narrative. But then from that, you get all these young Africans in the U.S., 
who say, oh, I actually understand how this like two-party system thing works. And I don't want to do this. The Jamil Alamis, the Kwame Therese, right? The young, other young people in this SNCC who say, actually, you know what? It's time for a Black power movement. And so then you get the Black Panther Party, you get the revolutionary, well, you get the revolutionary action movement to the Black Power, Black Panther Party, to, you know, the Republic of New Africa. All of these projects which say, oh, oh you, you get, which are reflections of Martin Luther King's, some of his final thoughts, which was, I fear I've integrated my people into a burning house, right? You get the realization that like, oh, shit, we spent a lot of time and resources on this process of integrating into imperialism, and we don't actually want to be here. And then all of that is violently smashed by the state apparatus, by Cointelpro, um, you know, and then we pop back up somewhere in the 80s and 90s with like presidents of IBM and, you know, uh, 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 lieutenants and sergeants in the military and like all these kinds of things. These are interruptions to the African revolution in the United States. Obama president. Obama the president. How could I forget that? We get the black presidents, we get the mayors, we get all these things. These things are interruptions in the African revolution. We are taught that they are contributions to the African revolution, but they're, they're interruptions because this goes back to the political nature of a name. Once you have accepted that you are an African, that you descend from people who were stolen and brought to build an imperialist project, then you understand you have one particular loyalty. This is bigger than dashikis. This is bigger than changing your name. This is bigger than learning to make fufu in your apartment. This is literally about every political decision that I make isn't in the interest of Africa, no matter where I am in the world, but particularly if I'm in the United States. What political decisions do I make and who are they in the favor of? And then you start to understand history. And then you start to understand reality. And then you start to realize the U.S. and Africa are at complete and total odds. As long as the United States exists in the form that is in, Africa can never be free. So now you have an enemy where you live. The place that you live is your enemy. That that changes everything about your life. It changes how you participate politically. It changes how you want your kids educated. It changes how you consume. It changes how you think, how you talk, how you walk, of course, but it's that political decision. It changes the way you view what is revolution for African people in the U.S. It can never be separate from Africa, right? So that's what, that's what I mean when I say when we reject American identity, this is a very big political decision. I remember the morning that I woke up and stood in front of the mirror and looked at myself for the first time and was like, oh shit, you're an African. Because I realized like I could never go back to status status quo politics living in North America. I could never do it. I realized everything I did had to be in opposition to the country I lived in. That's a heavy, a heavy realization. That's a heavy one. I, I, there's something powerful. I think it's powerful. A lot of the you have dropped a lot of bars and, and gems uh, as as I speak to you. But one particular one I want to pay attention to is the fact that an African, wherever he is on earth, his thoughts and actions should be towards Africa and the African. I think that's a very important way. We need to rehash that so that people can understand. I know we're still all going through emancipation process from a 
decolonization, neocolonization, and all these other things. And we are working against a very powerful machine that is able to continue this propaganda and the consumerism uh, culture, which is spreading so fast around the world. I see it in Southern Africa. South Africa is it's a mirror or is a satellite of the United States in terms of the consumerism culture and all this entertainment, and which eventually somehow suppresses the understanding that we are Africans and we are our house is on fire. As Martin Luther yes. King said, we were integrated into a burning house, but even our house is on fire, not by mm-hmm. us, but also by our ignorance. So right. you, I think you made me understand something that I was going to ask you. Maybe you still want to chime in a little bit on it. You make some prophetic foresight here, which is exciting to me. I like it when people make prophetic foresight. You say revolution is inevitable. <laughs> then yeah. you, go, you go on to say black and other colonized people will be the ones who will bring about uh, the revolution. I just want you to unpack this prophetic foresight. Revolution is inevitable and African people and other colonized people are going to bring, uh, the way I understand the imperialism to an end, to its knees, patriarchy mm-hmm. to its knees, neocolonialism to be broken down to pieces. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just you have to. It goes back to the. It goes back to the relationship to the land. Africans in the U.S. do not control the land that they're on, which means they have nothing. They got a lot of access to credit. They got a lot of false education. They got a lot of you know a heightened sense of pride and ego and fashion and all these things. But we ultimately, at the end of the day, when you strip it bare, have nothing, which means we have absolutely nothing to lose. It mm-hmm. it, it makes it makes Africa. African people in the U.S. when we wake up <laughs> and realize what the truth is, and we stop being blinded by the things that are being dangled in our face, and it, it, it will it will make us realize that like it's now or never. We got to get it. And when I say revolution is inevitable, I also don't want people to think what I mean is that the positive, the best possible outcome is inevitable. No, the United States scientifically is it has to move from capitalism at some point. The question is where is it moving? Are we is the United States going to fall and descend into straight up just fascism? I mean, it's already there, but I'm talking about like complete and total white settler, vigilante, like hellscape, or is it going to transition into something new or different? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that question. But what I do know is that Africans and other colonized people in the U.S. are working tirelessly to make sure that their national liberation struggles on the land that actually is theirs um, succeed will be good. Great, great. I think it's the best way to conclude this with your last line to love ourselves truly that is speaking of Africans to love ourselves truly meant to organize and struggle for the end of American conclusion yes we will borrow from the old and we will innovate anew I think this is a beautiful line conclude with this so I think a thing that scares a lot of Africans in the U.S. is we've been kind of conditioned into this idea that this is all we have this country this way of being this political system capitalism as an economy. This is all we have and it's all we can ever have. But again, once you have broken out of the I'm an American way of thinking and you embrace Africa, you realize you have access 
to the entire world. You have access to the entire world. First of all, you have access to Africa. Second of all, you have access to the Caribbean via transatlantic slave trade. Africa has a relationship to everywhere in the world. You are a child of the world when you understand yourself as an African. And so what that means is that the possibilities are endless. They are endless. Who, If, if the indigenous people of the, of the, of the Americas are you know successful in reclaiming their land what does that relationship look like between us and some of our oldest allies in in that hemisphere of the world right what is the opportunities for african african people in the us to explore life and living on the african continent side by side with 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 african people who already live there not on some um, some neo colonizer shit you know what i mean but what is it what does it look like to build african communities in the united states not in the united states i'm sorry on 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 this land, on that land in the Western Hemisphere, which are directly tied to Africa, which are protectorates of a socialist, unified, you know, Africa. These are things our imagination cannot comprehend, but they're not things that we should take off the table just because we've never seen them. We have to imagine them. When Africa is socialist and is unified and everybody living there has access to meaningful work and and patriarchy is being you know appropriately challenged and we have our high speed rail which is taking us and connecting us to different parts of africa that we've never seen and our children are being educated in their indigenous languages and they have access to textbooks and food and clean water and african people are developing their revolutionary african personalities and we have our continental african army which protects all of us from any vestiges of remaining imperialism throughout the world how do how do african people thrive and grow in every every corner of the world this is what we have to be working for and believing in and dreaming and envisioning can be real totally we will borrow from the old and we'll innovate anew as we move towards a unified and liberated socialist africa thank you so much brother it has been a very wonderful discussion you are fired up you can, i can tell that you are behind the stresses of the united states of america you are at home. I'm home, man. I'm so happy. Every day I wake up and I'm just like, yes. Yes, yes. this is home. I'm connecting to the ancestors. Wow. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I'm going to bring this to a stop. Thank you so much. Thank you.